Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipsters Chronicles. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where from the period of time of March 2021 through June 2022, I interviewed 182 founders, executives, entrepreneurs, artists, and authors from over 50 different countries and built a global audience in 165 countries while posting and producing my podcast at the Irish Tech News platform. Since then, I realized there's a lot of incredible content in the interviews that I had and my interviews with thought leadership podcast interviews that had amazing gems, amazing gems from um, all the guests that I was able to interview. And so I've chosen and decided to create the uh, Crypto Hipsters Chronicles series, which is a series of the gems, the, the little tiny pieces from each of the interviews that I had in the areas of Bitcoin, Ethereum, metaverses, NFTs, regulatory issues in crypto globally, art, and you name it across the wide spectrum of different verticals in blockchain and crypto industry and in fintech and mobility and sustainability as well. Uh, these are about 15 minutes long, each uh, chronicle, and has three, four, or five different segments from different interviews. So I hope you enjoy them. Uh, I hope you have uh, learned a lot. And if you'd like to um, listen to the full podcasts, they are available online at both the Irish Tech News um, and on Anchor. And uh, in a future date, will be available on the Crypto Hipsters station as well. So please enjoy and uh, talk to you soon. Welcome to Crypto Hipsters Chronicles, Episode 7. Hacks, Rugs, and the Court Jester. This uh, interview has four people in this order. First is Monty Munford with the Siena Network. Secondly, is Ruben Marais with Engrave. Third, Nick Smart with Crystal Blockchain Analytics. And last but not least, Sammy Kareem with Binance. Enjoy. Your background is, is a lot of people say to me, and I interviewed somebody last week, and he said, Jamil, I'm not that smart. Um, and I said to him, you have street smarts. Street smarts are far more important than book smarts um, in this space. Um, so I wanted to get your take on what you think about that. Well, I'd say it's, well, it's a bit of both, isn't it? You know, it's like the grass is always greener. I really wish I'd gone to university because I can't cook. You know what I mean? That's where people learn to cook. Um, I wish that I had had that full education. I wish that I'd been more mature at that time to have listened to someone because I never listened to anyone. I've started to listen to people nowadays, uh, which is clearly a fail. Uh, street start, book smart. I mean, I, I've just been discussing War and Peace with my mate who, who's just read it. I've just read Rationality by Stephen Pinker. Uh, I actually understand rationality a lot better than I did before. I mean, I, I've read everything. You know, I've read Dostoyevsky, everything by Tomsky, Albert Camus. Might actually go to Algeria instead of uh, the Sinai in January because of my love for Albert Camus. Uh, so I don't think, you add, you add the book smart to the street smart, 
right? You have you have a you have an interesting individual. If you add the court jester to a mixture of those two, there's a book by Herman Hess that everyone used to read in India uh, called Journey to the East, and it's about two people that are invited on a march through history with Socrates, all these just characters marching the greatest of intellects to the east or whatever. Uh, and there's a digital, not digital, it's what it should be, a digital jester. A court jester that kind of lurks around, jumps around, you know what I mean? And they think he's a bit of a dick. Um, but everybody tells the court jester their secrets because they don't think he's a threat. You know, so I, it's quite difficult to get away from being a court jester because I have played that role for many years as I kind of try, tried to catch up with my peers uh, uh, in digital and internet and now crypto is that the, the, a mixture of street smart, street smart, book smart and being a digital jester or a court jester where you're no threat to anybody, you know, and you get all that information they give to you freely because they don't think you're a threat uh, is a very, 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 very powerful potion. It's a powerful brew uh at certain times in your life i think getting away from the court jester and being you know i want you to know me for being book smart not street smart as opposed to you thinking i'm a hustler or oh, i'm street smart that's quite a big pivot but it's one i'm going through at the moment and one that i am enjoying making you have ethereum you set up a wallet you buy some erc20 tokens you send them to, you have it on an address, you take that soft wallet that you use to purchase them with and you delete it, you get rid of it. You also uh, have traded all of your Ethereum. So the only thing sitting in a, in a blockchain address is your ERC-20 tokens. How is a hacker getting to those ERC-20 tokens? Well, <clears throat> this will bring me back to question number one or question number zero, which is, where did you essentially create your private key or your access key or your or your 12 or 420 forward seat that gives you access to those keys uh, to those uh, to those ERC20 tokens? You created them on the soft wallet and then you deleted the soft wallet, but you wrote down your key. Okay, yeah. So in essence, what you've done is you've started off by creating your key with an online trace because you created them online. So there are different ways that you probably can get that key in the beginning. Yeah? So MetaMask sometimes allows you to uh, download a file that then uh, stays on your computer. You can ob obviously write it down um, and then delete this file. But there is an online trace to it, right? And even let's say if you would have just displayed it on your screen, there again is an online trace. There are different ways to get to to get, actually get to that key. Um, so in in the security model of Engray, for example. What it all comes down to is there should never at any point in time be any, even if it's super small and negligible, there should never be a security risk to, to, to what you have as, as, as your assets. Because at this point, maybe it's $500. Maybe when you're, when you're older, it's $500,000. It might be your identity. It might be everything you have in the metaverse. There should never be a security um, risk there. And that is what our model does. So we create these keys offline instead of online. Um, so you never even have to, um, worry about the fact that somebody might actually find these keys and i would say that's that's point number one um but but what is very important to understand and that's something we realized by working together with jean-jacques for example um it is that all the chips in the world today that create these keys are backdoored 
So they are backdoored by third-party intelligence agencies. Um, you can find this on, on Google. So you can you can search for it and you can easily find this. But so it means like if you lose a, use an existing uh, version of the, the hardware wallets in the world, they, they use these chips 100%. So they actually uh, can be, if you have $10 million on your wallet, the intelligent agencies can again, uh, pin down the number of potential keys and they can brute force those. Um, we, we with Engrave, we use the chip because the chips are very good to create randomness, uh, to create strong keys. Um, but we also create uh, also use um, sources from outside of the device. So we, your fingerprint, uh, sorry, biometrics become part of the key. We use light measurements to our camera to actually also um, uh, strengthen the key. This is something that has been proven academically to be one of the best sources of entropy, so to create a strong key. And we also have an offline interaction process between the user and the device, so that even if we would have faked everything till that point, and we would just tell you that, hey, yeah, we're using your, your fingerprint, even though we, we don't, um, we have no way of knowing what your key is, right? So there should never be a risk that even Engrave uh, as a third party knows what your key could be. Whereas all the other wallets typically just give you a key. They tell you, write it down, this is your key. Um, and again, there you have a small but, but important risk. They might have a database of all the keys they ever made. And if you have millions of users, you simply drain a wallet here and there once, once uh, uh, every, every few months. They will complain, but all the other users will say that, they're, that it's, it's simply not the case. Um, and yeah, so if you if you add all these things together, there are quite a few security risks just in the generating your key and making a backup. And obviously, uh, and I just want to throw this out there as well. Um, how did you make that backup? Because your hardware wallet is important, but your hardware wallet, you can lose it. That's fine. As long as your backup, uh, you don't lose that because you can buy a new wallet, you can import your key. And that's what we see the most. There is simply not a good solution for backup. So we also created a whole new thing the ultimate backup to make sure you never lose your keys again. There's a, there's a new thing that a lot of people are clamoring to learn more about and they don't know it. And, and I actually have a, a, a meeting with somebody later to talk about, you know, what they need and that's the metaverse. Um, and people want to enter that space and it is a, um, there's a lot of ambiguity there. So what should people look for in the metaverse in order in terms of safety and security. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I think when it comes to like these grander concepts like the metaverse, which you know could be truly revolutionary, I think it's important to, and I, again, I also say this now is that anything I've said is not constituting investment advice. I wouldn't promote one project over another one, <laughs> just as a, a late disclaimer. Um, although the concept of doing your own research and due diligence is certainly something that uh, anybody would advocate for. Um, but when it comes to the metaverse and picking projects uh, and and looking at the risks the metaverse might present to you, it's you know, at the end of the day, you're still giving away something to use this. They're not completely altruistic in their lookout, the companies that are funding these projects. We are sharing with them um, a large amount of our personal information and our personal data. And, you know, maybe we're not comfortable doing that. You know, we need to look at what we're giving away to what we're getting in return. So, okay, we've got a metaverse project and, you know, it's an online game and it's play to earn. Okay, but what am I giving away to do this? 
what are they taking from me is perhaps the question you should be asking uh, before digging into it deeply, more deeply. In terms of the sort of like the security risks and aspects to it, I would imagine it's very similar to other uh, related projects. A lot of them are going to require the use of a cryptocurrency or a virtual asset to transact on their uh, particular ecosystems. Um, similar protocols need to be followed and as you would do with protecting your crypto generally, you know, don't be uh, duped into surrendering large amounts um, without understanding fully what you're getting yourself into. Um, you know, at one point you may say, okay, I'm going to go and uh, go and buy Fortnite skins uh, and I think they're going to appreciate in value and I can now pay for them in crypto because they're on the metaverse and I can have all this wonderful stuff to it that I feel it's going to appreciate. Be, be very careful to, with your based on assumptions is what I would say and you should be guarded. Um, in, in how you approach those things. Glad you said, I'm glad you said that. Um, so my question was this, recently, it was, I think it was in mid-November, uh, Binance Smart Chain hit a record-breaking milestone of ever, let me see if I have this number right, 14.7 million blockchain transactions in a single day. How have you built this, the uh, Smart Chain ecosystem up so to achieve, you know, that kind of impressive milestone. Yeah, I think um, uh, it's it's been it's been pretty insane. So we had actually a, a day more recently. I think it was uh, end of November where the network managed uh, sixteen point two million transactions in a twenty four hour period, which is pretty insane. Um, I don't think we've really done anything genius to achieve that. To be honest, I think it was a number of factors. We, it was. Uh, timing, it was uh, uh, things. So we were really just experimenting initially. We were in the early stages focusing on ensuring the developer community had uh, uh, all the required infrastructure and tooling. And we were working very close and continue to work very closely with the, the developer community to ensure that uh, the infrastructure and tooling requirements are being met or um, we work on any gaps there and then supporting projects and developers on uh, both product development as well as user scaling more importantly. Um, and I think timing was also really fortunate. So we've been um, focusing a lot on infrastructure scaling to support the massive user growth that's happening on BSC, uh, which, is, uh, which is kind of like an un, uh, uncharted territory. Uh, I think we're really one of the first that's uh, kind of supporting infrastructure at this level of usage uh, for the very first time. Uh, so it's kind of challenging, but also exciting in, in that in that aspect. So I think uh, we are working on a number of initiatives in terms of how we see the future of BSC evolving, uh, which we believe will be multi-chain. Uh, so we'll... Um, we always uh, believed in this multi-chain future in which there will be uh, multiple base settlement layers um, that will have different architectures that some of them will be more general purpose, some of them will be domain specific suited, that will have architectures that support specific use cases better than others. Uh, so for us, we're really, we see ourselves as being the infrastructure providers for, for crypto. Uh, that's really what we want to focus on. We want to provide the, the plumbing that uh, crypto and developers use. Uh, and that's 
chain agnostic, it's like language agnostic, client agnostic. So right now BSE is a, a get client that um, supports Solidity, but later could uh, we could launch chains that support different architectures, uh, different languages, uh, really based on developer demand. So wherever the developer demand is, we want to provide the infrastructure. Uh, we want to provide the infrastructure for that with a view of supporting uh, uh, increasing and driving crypto adoption. That's the main the main objective for us.